Everybody has their go-tos, right? Th things that you go to in life that you know most of the time, they're a guarantee. So when I was a young guy growing up, I have an older brother, Ed, who's two years older than me, and then a younger brother, Cliff, who's nine years younger than I am. And Ed and I always had these go-tos. And, and our go-to was Iron Butterfly and the Wizard of Oz. Now you're wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Well, you see, when, when I, growing up, before Cliff came along, B.C., I, my brother Ed would aggravate me and, you know, we would fight. I mean, that just happened every single day of my life growing up until Cliff was born in 1972, greatest day of my life. And so now I had someone who I could turn and bring the pain to. And sometimes I would team up with Ed and guarantee go-tos. Our goal was to make him cry. I know this is horrible, but work with me. This was many years ago. It was to make him cry. So a guarantee was Iron Butterfly was a, for you young folks who don't know, Google them on YouTube today after church. Iron Butterfly was out of the psychedelic rock era in the late 60s. They had a song that's an epic song, has one of the best drum solos of all time. It's called Inna Gada Davida. And it starts off in this live version with a church organ, so it sounds like church music. One time my grandmother listened to it, she thought she was listening to some kind of hymn deal. Uh-uh. So it transitions from the church music to... I mean, it scares me today. It does. Automatic. Cliff, my little brother, break down. Another one was The Wizard of Oz. Ma made in 1939. That movie's almost a century old, but there's so much fear in that movie. Just the mention of the Wicked Witch with the green face and, and the hat and those weird-looking monkeys that rode those brooms, right? Just mentioning the Wizard of Oz to my little brother. Guaranteed go-to. But in that movie, The Wizard of Oz, in case you haven't seen it, there's an iconic moment in that film where Dorothy, the little girl from Kansas, and her cute little dog Toto are trying to make their way through the woods. And they have this refrain that they keep repeating over and over again. Some of you may remember it. Remember lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, lions and tigers and bears. And they're just, they just stop thinking that we, we could encounter one of these, these creatures at any time. And the fear started to grow and grow and grow. And, and I think really it's in, in, in our life and our world today where we live, th th there are obvious things to be afraid of. There are obvious things that instill fear into our life, right? At work, at home, at school, there are the lions and the tigers and the bears. These obvious things in life that instill fear into us. But then there are the things that lie beneath the surface. There are the things that we can't see at first that I want to call unseen threats. And today we're going to look at not lions and tigers and bears, oh my, the obvious. We're going to look at something that is unseen, that many times can creep into our lives. It can creep into our job. It can creep into our families and relationships and, and wreak tremendous havoc and, and turmoil. 
So what do we do about them? And, and what is this unseen threat we're going to look at? Well, today we, we start our, our second installment, if you would, on our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling this study 1 Houstonians because it's so relevant. Corinth, the city uh, many years ago in Houston are so similar. They're both port cities, one on the Mediterranean Sea, we're on the Gulf of Mexico. They're both cosmopolitan international cities, both uh, very diverse religiously, ethnically. So there's a, there's a really an interesting Houston-Corinth connection. So we're studying this book. We'll be in this book for many, many Sundays, and I am stoked about getting into Corinthians because it is, I think, one of the most relevant and practical books that we could study right now. And also, it contains several epic chapters in the Bible. Some of the most quoted chapters in the Bible come out of 1 Corinthians. And as we go on through this, we'll see that probably one of the most important intellectual and historical chapters uh, in all of Christianity is also in 1 Corinthians. So, boom, here we are. In 1 Corinthians, we're just getting started today, but there's a lot here for us. Let's dive into it, and let's unearth this unseen threat straight away. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's in the New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can look right there on the slides, and you will see it pop up magically. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul is writing this book. Paul is writing to the, uh, a church in Corinth, a church that he founded, I think, about three years before he wrote this letter. And uh, he spent over a year and a half in Corinth. So this is a very important church plant from him. Corinth was the jewel of the Roman Empire. And so Paul was, was adamant about uh, starting and founding a very strong church. But as we unpack and get into this book, we'll see that there were many, 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 many problems uh, within Corinth. Uh, the very powerful pagan culture of the Romans and the, and, the, and the Corinthians were seeping its way into this early church. So Paul's having to push back. And here in verse 10, he talks about this unseen threat. Check it out. He says, I appeal, appeal to you, brothers and sisters. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and what you, um, what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas, which is another name for the Apostle Peter. Another says, I follow Christ. I love it when Paul gets sarcastic. Just love it. Here we go. He goes, is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized a household of Stephanus, and beyond that, I don't remember who I baptized, if anyone else. For Christ, he says, did not send me to baptize. But Christ sent him to do something else that we'll look at in a few minutes. But let's talk about that unseen threat. It probably popped out to you as it popped out to me. What is it? The unseen threat 
that was threatening to break up and fracture this brand new church was division. Division. They were divided into groups and factions and worshiping personality cults and all this stuff. They were divided. And Paul knew, because he knew the teachings of Christ, that a house divided will fall. A company divided will fall. A couple divided will fall. A country divided will fall. Wherever there is disunity, wherever there is division, wherever there is this unseen threat that's just beneath the surface, and when that goes unaddressed, it causes havoc and turmoil and chaos anywhere you see it. So as we look at this passage here today, as we're just getting into the study, we'll see that unity is a major theme here. And so I want to look at two questions today, two questions that I see pop out of this text, I think, that are very relevant for us here today. And the first question is this, just right off the bat, what causes division? Again, we're looking at division specifically in this case as it relates to the church. But what causes division? Think about it. A lot of things cause division. One thing I know that causes division is what I call vision drift. Vision drift. You may have a fantastic mission statement. You may have a fantastic vision, and it's there on your team uh, shirt, and it was there in the team building exercises you had. But if you start drifting away from your vision, from your mission statement, it will bring division within your group, your community, and your company. Well, what else calls this division? Leadership fatigue. Leadership fatigue. Leaders get tired of leading. Leaders get tired of serving. Leaders get tired of in, in, in living out and pursuing the vision that they have. They just get tired. They don't show up. They, they don't hold people accountable. They, they don't cause people to have goals and things that will reach them and that will unify them as a group. So leadership fatigue. What's another one? Well, this is the one that Paul's really addressing here, that we're going to hit today. It's what I want to call pipeline arrogance. Not the pipeline a lot of you guys are thinking about and ladies are thinking about and worried about. A different kind of pipeline, okay? A pipeline that says, hey, I have got it all figured out. I have got a pipeline to God. I've got a pipeline to the truth, and my truth is the correct way to go. I've got it all figured out. That's what was happening here. People are dividing up. said, hey, I've got the pipeline because I'm following Paul. Paul's the one who founded this church in Corinth. 
I'm following him. Someone else said, no, I'm, I'm following Apollos. Apollos was this brilliant intellectual who had this uh, amazing conversion experience. And he was a very gifted orator and speaker. And many in Corinth said, oh, I'm going to follow Apollos. He has that direct pipeline to God and God's truth. Others said, I'm going to follow Peter. And some said, hey, I don't need anybody else. I just need me and Jesus. You've heard that? I don't need the church, I don't need community, I don't need Paul, Apollos. It's just me and Christ alone by ourselves. I've got this direct pipeline to him. So Paul's addressing this early on. And, and, and it's, still, it's still a problem today, isn't it? I mean, we live in a, in a culture that worships the cult of personality. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in preaching in the church, whether it's in sports or, or what have you, we want to find that person. We want to find that group that has this pipeline to truth. Right? They, they found it. They really know how this gets done. They've really figured out God. They've really figured out Christ. And you've got to follow their way or the highway, right? What is this? Why are we drawn to this? <laughs> I think it's because we, we just want to be special, right? We, we do. We want to be special. We want to be unique. We want to be better, right? I, I want to be better than you. I want to be smarter than you. I want to be more spiritual than you. I want to be richer than you or more powerful than you. This is kind of endemic, isn't it, to the human condition? And now that I found this teacher, and now that I follow this particular leader, well, I've got it. And you don't. I'm a Baptist. Don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, go with girls who do. We've got it figured out. I'm Catholic, Hail Mary, full of grace, mother of God, start with, right, right, we've got it figured out. It's the one true church. I'm a Methodist. We've got the methods down, the methods for sanctification. I'm Presbyterian. It's all predestined. I follow John Calvin. He is the one that's got it figured out. I'm charismatic. I speak in tongues. I heal people. I knock people over. We've got it all figured out. I've got it figured out. Right? Hey, listen. It's a, you know, there's good and bad things about being a Christian for a long time. I've been a Christian for a long time. Long, 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 long time. And I've been in almost every group that I said just then. Yeah. So I know that God speaks and God moves through different groups of people, through uh, different teachers and leaders. But when we think, hey, we've got the corner of the market. We've got this pipeline, this, this direct teaching from God and everyone else doesn't get it. That's just not, that's not what Christianity is ever taught. It's ever taught. Now we don't have time to get into this today, but there is a, 
there's a, a core of, of essential beliefs. There's an orthodoxy with a small O, if you would, that's been passed down to us. It's been preserved through the centuries and the millennia that unifies us. But when we get separated and we think, we've got it. I follow this celebrity preacher. I follow this celebrity teacher. I read them. I do this. We start divide, dividing each other. It's pride, isn't it? Right? It's just pride. Ego edging God out. God doesn't want us to live there. He doesn't want us to live there. He, what does he want? It brings up the second question, right? What brings unity? We talk about division. That's the the unseen enemy, the unseen threat. But what brings unity? Look at the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. He said, Christ did not send me to baptize. Paul baptized, but that wasn't primary. What's primary? Here it, goes. Here it is. He said, but to preach, which means proclaim the gospel, the good news, not with wisdom and elo eloquence. We'll come back to that in a few weeks. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What brings unity, purpose, purpose brings unity. Getting back to the why, why we exist, why God came down to us in Christ, why, why has he given us this, this good news, this gospel about what he has done for us in Christ. Why is he desiring to build his church? So Paul says, it's this purpose that will unify. Pride breeds division. But purpose brings unity. Pride, I've got it. He's got it, she's got it. We've got it all figured out. We have this special, that just breached division. Purpose, the gospel, proclaiming this, this good news, applying this good news about what God has done for us in Christ. That's what brings unity. It brings unity. Now, I, I look at, at our church, at, at, at Second Baptist Church, and we're, we're a real motley crew. That's just not a good name for a rock band, but it's just good. It's, motley means diverse, right? It's, it's, we're, we're a diverse group. And there, there's no perfect church. None. And, and my dad said this for years, if you find a perfect church... Don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> We're all imperfect people. As someone said years ago, what, the church is a hospital for sinners and not a country club for saints? But, but here, here at Second, what, what really unifies us, what unifies our staff, what unifies our, our leaders, what unifies our congregation is this constant focus on the purpose 
of why we exist, and that is to get the good news out. We're passionate about trying to help people understand how you can have a relationship with God that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And then how you start applying your relationship with Christ to other areas of your life. That's what we're passionate about. We have people on our staff from all different theological perspectives and backgrounds. People in our church community from all different theological and even religious backgrounds. And educational backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds and political backgrounds. You name it. How do we unify in such diversity? We unify over purpose. Our purpose is to get the good news of Jesus Christ out in a way that people can connect with God. And, and part of that purpose, too, flowing out of that was, is not just, hey, you need to come to know God. You need, to, you need the good news. No, we, we want to get people plugged into a community. Plugged into a community. One of the ways we do that, there are many ways, but the primary way is through our Bible study classes, or we call them Sunday school classes if you want to go really old school. But basically they're community groups that meet primarily on Sunday morning, some on Saturday night, some during the week. But that's where we build a sense of community. And then out of that, we're, we're always trying to pursue Christ. And how do we obey Christ in all the areas of our life and make a difference and an impact in our work and our job and our school and our relationships? How does he permeate every area of our life? So that's what's, what we're about. And that brings unity to our church and to our family in this particular body of Christ. Again, unity doesn't mean uniformity. doesn't mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean that you don't have disagreements with people. But unity means that you are unified in the purpose as to why God has placed us here at this time and in this way. What did Paul say? He said, listen, I, I, I want to teach the cross. The cross, the, the power and the mystery of the cross. What does the cross tell us? As we look at the cross, the power of the cross, the cross says the, these two things to us that seem paradoxical, paradoxical but, the, but it tells us this simultaneously. First of all, when we look at the cross, we go, wow. Wow, I, I really messed up. I've messed up. I, I've broken God's laws. I've done things that I'm ashamed of, that I'm guilty of. Because when I look at the cross, I see it's a sacrifice that Christ had to make for me. Therefore, you know, I know that I'm messed up. At the same time, the cross tells me and tells you that you're also deeply loved. Deeply loved. That the God of the universe so desired to have a relationship with you, that he would come into your world and this earth and take on your suffering and your guilt and your pain. That you could be forgiven and accepted and become a child of God and connected to his community. The cross says, yeah, I messed up and I have messed up. The cross also says, I am deeply loved and cherished by the God of the universe. So it gives us a sense of humility and a sense of boldness. 
the cross. Paul said, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos, as gifted as he is. It's not about Cephas, as bold as he is. It's not about having some a la carte relationship, you know, with you and Jesus. No, no, no. It is about the cross, and it is about the community of men and women and young people who gather together to worship God and to be a part, be a part of his purposes on this earth. It's awesome, isn't it? It's incredible. It's just like God's, his gospel, his, his love, the cross is so deep. It's like, you know, it's like nature and the beauty and how we see God in nature. And we're always awed and we're always amazed at how God communicates us just through nature and mountains and rivers and blue skies and sunsets and sunrises and oceans and all kinds of beauty and art and music. And God is always amazing us in this way. And the cross and the gospel is that on a whole nother level. Yeah, isn't it? One of the greatest, most influential theologians in the 20th century, in all branches of the church, both Roman Catholic and Protestant, was a guy by the name of Karl Barth. Brilliant, 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 influential theologian. And he was in a press conference. And someone asked him, Dr. Barth, out of all your studies and all your learnings and all the books you've read and the people you've talked to and the most influence you've had, out of everything you've learned, Dr. Barth, what is the most important thing the most important truth, the deepest, the most profoundest thing that you know. Dr. Bart said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so.